discourse 10 to 12 of cases of conscience resolved by john owen this librivox recording is in the public domain question what shall a person do who finds himself under the power of a prevailing corruption sin or temptation answer i shall premise only this one thing and then inquire whether it belongs to us or no this prevalency hath many degrees it may be a prevalency to outward scandal or to the utter loss of inward peace or to the disquieting and divesting of us of that tranquillity of mind usually which christ calleth us unto now pray consider that i speak to it equally and in every degree and perhaps there may be none of us but at one time or other after inquiry will have had experience in one degree or other either to disquietment loss of peace or scandal what shall such a person then do who finds it so with him i answer first he should labour to affect his mind with the danger of it it is not conceivable how subtle sin is to shift off an apprehension of the danger of it notwithstanding this says the man yet i hope i am in a state of grace and shall be saved and come to the issue of it at one time or other and so the mind keeps off a due sense of the danger of it i beseech you brethren and sisters that if this be your condition labour to affect your minds that this state as far as i know will end in hell and let not your minds be relieved from the apprehension that upon due and good grounds of faith these ways go down to the chambers of death do not please yourselves imagining you are members of the church and have good hopes of salvation by jesus christ but consider whether this tends and affect your minds with it secondly when the person is affected with the danger of it the next thing to be done is to burden his conscience with the guilt of it for the truth is as our minds are upon many pretences slow to apprehend the danger of sin so our consciences are very unwilling to take the weight of the burden of it as to its guilt i speak not of men of seared consciences that lay what weight you will upon them will feel none but even the consciences of renewed men unless they use all the ways and means whereby conscience may be burdened as by apprehensions of the holiness of god of the law of the love of christ and of all those things whereby conscience must be made to feel the weight of its guilt no sooner doth it begin to be made a little sick with a sense of the guilt of sin but it takes a cordial presently here this sin hath taken place it hath contracted this and that guilt i have been thus long negligent in this or that duty i have thus long engaged in this or that folly and been so given up unto the world i must take to christ by faith or i am undone it is afraid of making its load but let conscience bear the burden and not easily shift it off unless it can by true faith guided by the word load it upon christ which is not a thing of course to be done thirdly what shall we do in case we have this apprehension of its danger and can be thus burdened with its guilt pray for deliverance how you will say there is in the scriptures mention of roaring psalm thirty two verse three the voice of my roaring and likewise of shouting lamentations three verse three i shouted and cried 
This is a time to pray that God would not hide his face from our roaring, nor shut out our prayers when we shout unto him. That is, to cry out with all the vigour of our souls. Christ is able to succour and help them that make an outcry to him. The word signifies so, and our word succour signifies a running in to help a man who is ready to be destroyed. These may seem hard things to us, but it is a great thing to save our souls and to deliver ourselves from the snares of Satan. Fourthly, treasure up every warning and every word that you are convinced was pointed against your particular corruption. There is none of you who may have the power of particular corruptions, but God at one time or other, in his providence or word, gives particular warning that the soul may say, This is for me, I must comply with it. But it is like a man that sees his face in a glass and goes away and immediately forgets what manner of man he was. There is an end of it. But if God give you such warnings, set them down, treasure them up, lose them not. They must be accounted for. He that being often reproved hardens his heart shall perish suddenly, and that without remedy. Fifthly, I shall mind you of two rules, and so have done. One, in your perplexities, as to the power of sin, exercise faith, that notwithstanding all, you see and find that you are almost lost and gone. There is a power in God, through Christ, for the subduing and conquering of it. Two, it is in vain for any to think to mortify a prevailing sin, who doth not at the same time endeavour to mortify all sin, and to be found in every duty. Here is a person troubled and perplexed with a temptation or corruption. Both are the same in this case. He cries, Oh, that I were delivered! I had rather have deliverance than life. I will do my endeavour to watch against it. But it may be this person will not come up to a constancy in secret prayer. He will go up and down and wish himself free, but will not be brought up to such duties wherein those lusts must be mortified. Therefore take this rule along with you. Never hope to mortify any corruption whereby your hearts are grieved, unless you labour to mortify every corruption by which the Spirit of God is grieved, and be found in every duty, especially those under which grace thrives and flourishes. Question. What is our duty with respect to dark and difficult dispensations of God's providence in the world? Answer. In answer unto this question, three things are to be considered. First, what are, in a scripture sense, those things that make a season of providence dark and difficult? Secondly, what are the open signs of the coming and passing of such a season over us? And, thirdly, what are our special duties in reference to our entering into and passing through such a season? First, what are those things that make a season of providence dark and difficult? I find four things in Scripture that make a dark season of providence, and, if I mistake not, they are all upon us. 1. The long-continued prosperity of wicked men. This, you are sensible, is the most known case of all the Old Testament, Psalm 73, Jeremiah 12, verses 1 to 3, Habakkuk 1, verse 4, verse 13, and many other places. The holy men of old did confess themselves in great perplexity at the long-continued prosperity of wicked men, and their long-continued prosperity in ways of wickedness. Give but this one farther circumstance to it, 
the long-continued prosperity of wicked men in their wickedness when the light shines round about them to convince them of that wickedness and god speaks in and by the light of his word against them that is a trial when all things were wrapped up in darkness and idolatry it is no wonder at the patience of god but when things come in any place to that state that many continue prosperous in wickedness when the day is upon them that judges them it is a difficulty two it is a difficult season of providence when the church is continued under persecution and distress in a time of prayer when they give themselves to prayer the difficulty seems mentioned psalm eighty verse four o lord how long wilt thou smoke against the prayer of thy people this made it hard that god should afflict his church and keep her under distresses and suffer the furrows to be made long upon her back and continue her under oppression from one season to another there may be evident reason for that but saith god call upon me in the time of trouble and i will hear god hath promised to hear the church will not god avenge the elect that call upon him day and night he will do it speedily now when god seems to be angry with the prayers of his people that is a difficult season when they cry and shout and god shuts out their prayers that makes a dark providence as the other difficulty is evidently upon us so i hope we have this difficulty to conflict with all that the anger of god continues to smoke against the prayers of his people as having stirred up many a blessed cry to himself for there is a time when he will hear and answer their prayers three it is a dark and difficult dispensation of providence when the world and nations of the world are filled with confusion and blood and no just reason appearing why it should be so when our saviour foretells a difficult season matthew twenty four and luke twenty one he says there shall be terrible times such as never were nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be wars bloodshed and earthquakes and the very elect shall hardly escape therefore god calls such a time a day of darkness yea of thick darkness joel two verse two a dark gloomy day there is nothing to be seen in all the confusions that are in the world at this day but that the frogs of unclean spirits are gone forth to stir up the lusts of men to make havoc of one another. 4. It adds greatly to the difficulty of a season when we have no prospect whither things are tending, and what will be their issue. There are two ways whereby we may have a prospect of things that are in being. By the eye of God's providence, when we perceive which way that looks, and by scripture rule, the truth is, we are in a time wherein no man can discern a fixed eye of providence looking this way or that way. What will be the issue of these things, whether it will be the deliverance of the church or the desolation of the nation and straightening of the church, whether God will bring good out of them in this generation, or any other time, none knows. This makes it difficult. Psalm 74, verse 9 We see not our signs, have no tokens what god intends to do neither is there among us any to tell us how long there is none of these things but make a season difficult and providence dark but when all of them concur together they cannot but greatly heighten it and i think they are all upon us secondly what are the open signs of the coming and passing of such a season over us 
there are three tokens or outward evidences of a difficult season it is so one when god's patience is abused you know that place ecclesiastes eight verse eleven because judgment is not speedily executed upon an evil work therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil things pass thus men fall into wickedness great wickedness their consciences fly in their faces and they are afraid the power of their lusts carry them into the same wickedness again and their consciences begin to grow a little colder than they were no evil comes of it and judgment is not speedily executed and so their hearts at last come to be wholly set to do evil hence others that look on say here are men given up to all wickedness surely judgment will speedily come upon these men judgment doth not come god is patient and so they themselves turn as wicked as the former abusing of god's patience is an evident sign of a dispensation of the displeasure of god in his providence and if ever it was upon any it is upon us and men learn it more and more every day every one talks of other men's sins and seeing no judgment falls upon them they give themselves up to the same sins two it is so when god's warnings are despised when thine hand is lifted up they will not see that is a difficult season for saith god the fire of thine adversaries shall consume them never had people more warnings than we have had warning in heaven above and warning on the earth beneath warnings by lesser judgments and warnings by greater and warnings by the word god's hand hath been lifted up but who takes notice of it some despise it and others talk of it as a tale to be told and there is an end of it who sanctifies the name of god in all the warnings that are given us the lord's voice crieth unto the city micah six verse nine but it is only the man of wisdom of substance that seeth the name of god in these his cries unto the city by his warnings from heaven and earth signs and tokens and great intimations of his displeasure three an inclination in all sorts of people to security and to take no notice of these things i have spoken unto this business of security formerly and i pray god warn you and myself of it for i believe none of us are such strangers to our hearts but can we say that under all these warnings there is an inclination to security and if god did not prevent it we should all fall fast asleep under all the judgments that are round about us any of these things show that we are under a difficult dispensation of providence but where all concur god be merciful to such a people it is the opening of the door to let out judgments to the uttermost now if this be such a season as i do verily believe we are all sensible it is then thirdly what shall we do what are our special duties in reference to our entering into and passing through such a season i might speak unto the peculiar exercise of those graces which are required unto such a season as faith resignation to the will of god readiness for his pleasure waiting upon god weanedness from the world and the like but i will only give you three or four duties which are peculiarly hinted in such a season and so have done one our first duty is that we should meet together and confer about these things malachi three verse sixteen and seventeen a good place in difficult seasons such as some of us have seen 
the day of the Lord was coming that would burn as an oven. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. When was this? In a time of great judgment and great sin. When they called the proud happy, and they that wrought wickedness were set up, and they that tempted God were even delivered, that is, appeared to be delivered. It is the great duty of us all, as we have opportunity and occasion to confer about these things, about the causes of them, what ariseth from the profane, wicked world, what from a persecuting, idolatrous world, and, wherein we are more concerned, what from a professing generation, and see how we can sanctify the name of God in it. We might have as great advantages as any under the face of heaven for the discharge of this duty, if we did but make use of that prize which God hath put into our hands. But if we are fools and have no heart to improve it, the blame will be our own. You have opportunities for meeting and assembling. I fear there are cold affections in your private meetings. I wish there be not. It may be some thrive and grow. I hope so, and others are cold and backward. It is not a season for it. If God would help us to manage this church aright, and, as we ought to do, there can be no greater advantage under such a season than we enjoy. But we want voluntary inspection, and the Lord lay it not to our charge, we have deferred it so long. Much want of love might have been prevented, many duties furthered, and many evils removed, if we had come up to the light God hath given to us. But we are at a loss, and God knows we suffer under it for want of discharging our duty. That is the first thing, to speak often one to another, to sanctify the name of God by an humble, diligent inquiry into the causes of these dispensations and preparation for these things. 2. The second duty in such a season is privately for every one of us to inquire of Jesus Christ in prayer and supplication what shall be the end of these things. You have a great instance of it, Daniel 8, verses 13 and 14. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation, to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden under foot? And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. I suppose there is something of the ministry of angels in it, for this saint inquires, but the answer is made to Daniel. One saint said unto another saint, and he said unto me. But the speaking saint was Jesus Christ. There was the Holy One that spake, which he calls a certain saint. But the derivation of the word is, one that revealeth secrets. There was an application made unto Jesus Christ, who is the revealer of secrets, to know how long. And you will find in the scriptures, in difficult dispensations, that is very many times the request of the saints to God. How long? Daniel 8, verse 6 and 8. How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And, O oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? 
there is an humble application by faith and prayer unto jesus christ to know the mind of god in these things that will bring satisfaction into our souls do not leave yourselves to wander in your own thoughts and imaginations it is impossible but we shall be debating things and giving a rational account of them but all will not bring us satisfaction but let us go to jesus christ and say to him o lord how long and he will give in secret satisfaction to our souls this is the second thing frequently confer about these things and press jesus christ to give your soul satisfaction as to these dispensations and then three another peculiar duty required in such a season is to mourn for the sins that are in the world that is recommended to us ezekiel nine when God had given commission unto the sword to slay both old and young, he spared only them that mourned for the abominations that were done in the land. We come short in our duty in that matter, in being affected with the sins of the worst of men. God being dishonoured, the Spirit of God blasphemed, the name of God reproached in them. We ought to mourn for their abominations. We mourn for the sins among God's people, but we ought also to mourn for those abominations others are guilty of for their idolatries, murders, bloodshed, uncleanness, for all the abominations that the lands about us, as well as our own, are filled with. It is our duty in such a season to mourn for them, or we do not sanctify the name of God, and shall not be found prepared for those difficult dispensations of God's providence which are coming upon us. 4. The fourth and last peculiar duty which I shall mention is to hide ourselves. And how shall we do that? The storm is coming, get an ark, as Noah did, when the flood was coming upon the world, which is stated for a precedent of all judgments in future times. There are two things required to provide an ark, fear and faith. First, fear. By faith, Noah, being moved with fear, prepared an ark. If he had not been moved with the fear of God's judgments, he would never have provided an ark. It is a real complaint. We are not moved enough with the fear of God's judgments. We talk of dreadful things, as can befall human nature, and expect them every day. But yet we are not moved with fear. Yet were they not afraid, saith Jeremiah, nor rent their garments. Nor do we do so. Habakkuk, upon the view of God's judgments, was in another frame. Chapter 3, verse 16. When I heard, saith he, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones and i trembled in myself that i might rest in the day of trouble this is the way to find rest in the day of god's judgments we are afraid of being esteemed cowards for fearing god's judgments and then second we cannot well provide an ark for ourselves unless we be guided by faith as well as moved by fear by faith noah prepared an ark how many things there are to encourage faith you have heard the name the properties of god and the accomplishment of the promise of god by virtue of all those properties encourage faith in providing an ark but you will say we are yet at a loss what this providing of an ark and hiding of ourselves is a prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself God calls us to enter into the chamber of providence and hide ourselves till the indignation be overpassed. If we knew what this was, we should apply ourselves unto it. I will tell you what I think in one instance. 
give no quiet to your minds until by some renewed act of faith you have a strong and clear impression of the promises of god upon your hearts and of your interest in them if it be but one promise it will prove an ark if under all these seasons moved with fear acted by faith we can but get a renewed sense and pledge of our interest in any one promise of god we have an ark over us that will endure whatever the storm be think of it and if nothing else occur to you apply your minds to it that you may not wander up and down at uncertainties but endeavour to have a renewed pledge of your interest in some special promise of god that it belongs unto you and it will be an ark in every time of trouble that shall befall you i did at two meetings inquire among ourselves what was required in the time of approaching judgments and calamities that the world hath been and is like to be filled with all and god was pleased to guide us to the discovery of the necessary exercise of many graces and the necessary attendance unto many duties for that end and purpose and we did design to spend our time this day to beg that god would give us those graces and stir them up by his spirit unto a due exercise and that he would help us unto such a performance of those duties that when the lord christ shall come by any holy dispensation of his providence we shall be found of him in peace that was the especial occasion of allotting the present time unto this duty no ways excluding the reasons occasions and matter of prayer which at other times we attend to for ourselves the church and the nation i would offer a few words that may stir us up unto this duty the scripture doth everywhere upon all such occasions call expressly unto us for a special preparation by the exercise of grace in reformation and holiness judgment must begin at the house of god and what will be the end of them that obey not the gospel what then is our duty why saith he seeing that all these things shall be dissolved all this outward frame of things what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness brethren we ought at all times to attend unto all holy conversation and godliness but saith the apostle the approach of judgment is a peculiar motive thereunto seeing that all these things are to be dissolved it is true seeing christ hath died for us washed us in his blood and given his holy spirit unto us what manner of persons ought we to be but the great motives are not exclusive of occasional exercises but give an addition unto them take heed that you be not overtaken with surfeiting and drunkenness with any excess in the use of the creature what if it be so then that day will come upon you at unawares the day when all shall be dissolved the day of judgment the day of approaching calamities you ought at all times to take care of these things but if your minds are not influenced in the consideration of the approach of that day you are not my disciples i do not at all speak under what preparations are required i could also reflect on those places where god expresseth his great displeasure against such who did not labour for a peculiar preparation upon approaching calamities isaiah twenty two verses twelve to fourteen i called for mourning and fasting and girding with sackcloth and you betook yourselves unto feasting on all occasions surely saith the lord this iniquity shall not be purged from you till ye die and it is reckoned among the sins of the most profligate persons that when god's hand is lifted up and ready to strike they will not see so as to learn righteousness 
Isaiah 26, verse 11. Let us therefore beg for grace, though God multiplieth warnings, makes appearances of mercy, and then writes death upon them, and entangles everything in darkness, yet our work goes slowly on in preparation. Cry earnestly unto God for such supplies of his grace and spirit, that may effectually bring us unto him, that we may no longer abide in the frame wherein we are. There are three things, and no more, that I know of, others may be named, but they may be reduced unto these three heads, that are required of us in reference unto approaching judgments, and there is not one of them through which we can pass, or which we can perform in a due manner comfortably unto ourselves, and unto the glory of God. Without we have some singular and eminent preparation for it. And they are these. First, that we ourselves stand in the gap to turn away the threatened judgments. Secondly, that we may be fit for deliverance, if it please the Lord graciously to give it unto us saith Christ, speaking of great calamities, lift up your heads, for the day of your salvation draws nigh. Thirdly, that we may cheerfully and comfortably go through the calamities, if they shall overtake us. These three are comprehensive of all the threats of approaching judgments and darkness that encompass us at this day. Now there is not one of them that we can be any way fit for unless our hearts and lives be brought into an extraordinary preparation, according as God calls and requires. I do not know whether we believe these things or no, but they will be shortly found to be true. First, who dares among us to propose himself to stand in the gap, to divert judgments from the nation, otherwise than in a formal manner? who is not prepared by these things we have spoken of, and hath not some good and comfortable persuasion of his own personal interest in Christ, and hath not freed himself from those sins that have procured these judgments, and who lives not in a resignation of himself unto the will of God. Who dares to do this? We shall provoke God if we think to stand in the gap and turn away judgments from the nation, when we see ourselves are concerned in procuring those judgments. Secondly, we cannot be meet for deliverance unless we are thus prepared. I have heard a notion preached and spoken upon other occasions, which I confess I never liked, and the more I consider it, the more I dislike it, and that is that God, in the deliverance of his people, works for his own name's sake, that he may have all the glory, that it shall be seen merely to be of grace, and therefore he will oftentimes deliver his people when they are in an unreformed and unreforming condition, that he may shame them and humble them by his mercy and grace afterward. I know no rule of scripture upon which this notion may be grounded, nor one instance or example whereby it may be made out. Here lies the truth of it. When there are two things concurring in the deliverance of the church, God will deliver them notwithstanding all their sins and unworthiness, without any previous humiliation in themselves. First, when God hath fixed and limited a certain season in his word and promise for their deliverance. And secondly, when antecedent unto their deliverance, they want means for humiliation. God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt when they were in a very bad condition, an ignorant, stubborn, faithless generation. But both these things were concurring. God was engaged in point of his promise that at the end of 430 years he would visit and deliver them. 
and they were deprived of all ordinances of worship in Egypt. Not a sacrifice could they offer while they were there, not a Sabbath, I believe, though it is not expressed in Scripture, could they observe. The way of worship and knowledge of God was taken from them. So when God delivered the children of Israel out of Babylon, they were in no very good condition, but God was engaged in point of promise as to that time, that at the end of seventy years they should be delivered. And in Babylon they had no means for instruction or reformation, no temple, no sacrifice, these were denied. But whenever God doth afford unto persons all the means of grace for humiliation, reformation, and turning unto himself, it may be as good as ever they shall in this world. That God did ever deliver that people out of their distresses, when they refused to be reformed, humbled, or to turn unto him. Neither instances of scripture nor God's dealing with his church will make this good. Therefore it is vain for us to expect anything of this nature. If indeed for so many years we had been thrown into a wilderness condition, and had no preaching, no assemblies, no administration of ordinances, no warnings or charges from God, we might have expected the Lord would have given us deliverance. But to us who have had all these things, and yet will not make use of what we have now at present, we have no ground to expect any such thing. Therefore I confess, neither by rule, instance, or example do I expect deliverance, until God come in to work a thorough change and reformation in our hearts and lives, which makes it very necessary to be preparing to meet God in the way of his judgments. Thirdly, the third thing that may lie before us is how we may cheerfully go through the calamities which may overtake us. I will say no more unto that, because it is that which we did expressly insist upon in our former discourses. As to the best of us, who have been long in the ways of God, woeful will be our surprise or when the days of calamity come, if we have lived in negligence of complying with the calls and warnings of God that we have had, to bring ourselves unto a more even and better frame. We shall find our strengths to fail us, and have our comforts to seek, and be left to inward darkness, when outward darkness increaseth, and not know whither to cause our sorrows to go. These things, brethren, I thought fit to mention unto you, that if it be the will of God, they may be of use to take us off from those false hopes and false expectations, which we are wonderfully ready to feed ourselves withal, in such a day as this is wherein we live. It is high time for us to be calling upon God for this end. End of Discourse 10-12